This week, we will discuss... Imagine spending an evening at your principal's house, but instead of being offered some delicious steamed hams, you only get to dream about slurping down some maggots you find on a rotting corpse. Um. Yummy, yummy. Theme, theme song? Hello and welcome to Circle Yerk. I'm Barry. I'm Shawnee. Shawnee, what do we do here on Circle Yerk? Circle Yerk is an Amorous podcast where you are reading the books. I have not read the books. I will react to them and I remember nothing in between the episodes. Shawnee, I have a joke. Okay. I came up with my own original Animorphs joke and I'm pretty proud of it. I can't wait to hear it. What do you get when you cross a petite... South African rapper with bad bangs and a parasitic alien that takes over the body of an Andalite. I'm really concerned that this is going to be low-key racist, but go on. I don't know what you do what you do get, but... Think about it. Please tell me. Yolandi Visser 3. No one under the age of 45 knows who Yolandi Vis- Yolan- Visser... Visser. What? I don't. I can't even like pronounce his name correctly. No one under I... the age of forty-five is listening to this podcast. Trying to have some good news and some bad news. Okay. Good news. There's no drinking game this week. <laughs> Thank God. I I literally don't remember anything from episode five. Bad news. I have some questions for you about episode five. <laughs> I was concerned. I remember thermals. That is that is one of the questions. Okay. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'll just give you a point for that. Well, we'll get there. Shawnee, what is the name of the Chapman's cat? Who the fuck are the Chapmans, first of all? <laughs> You're clearly joking. No. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. So there's... There's a... It's a dude. No, it's Homer. Fuck. It... To recap, for the listener's benefit, of course... <laughs> Vice, Prin- Vice Principal Chapman is a Yerk controller, and his daughter, Melissa, used to be f- close friends with Rachel. Yeah, I know that. I just, it's just, there's, there's a dog called Homer. There's a cat called Dude, but it's not the Chapman's cat. No. All right, Shawnee, we'll skip to the second question. I'm sorry, do I not get, like, extra special education points for... Unfortunately not. God damn it. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the second question and see if this uh, refreshes your memory. Shawnee. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, wait. For the listeners joining in right now, <laughs> let's remember that I basically had like three Negronis within the space of 15 minutes. Because, At least. Because, and for anyone who's not familiar with what a Negroni is, it's just pure alcohol. Shawnee, question number two. What is the slang term used to refer to someone in the adult film industry? who is responsible for maintaining the erections of the male actors, usually through oral sex and digital stimulation. Oh my god, is the cat's name Fluffer? The cat's name is Fluffer. You get retroactive points (laughs) back. Question number three, which you've already answered, what do you call a bubble of warm air that rises up from the ground almost like an invisible bubble? Uh, Yes, you will never forget the thermals, I'm sure. No, absolutely not. Question number four. How long does it take to morph into an animal? It depends on your skills, I think. Because I think Cassie is really good at it. Jake is not so good at it. I will give you extra points for that because that is actually better than the answer I have down. (gasps) The answer I have down is... I'm so proud of myself. However long is convenient to the plot at that moment. (laughs) Because we discussed, like, in the, in, not the previous episode, but the one before that, it's like, because I was like, well, why doesn't Cassie just, like, transform into an elephant or a horse, like, mid-attack? And you were like, well, they kind of have to, like, they haven't figured out how to do it efficiently yet, or right. some it of them have. takes anywhere from, from 10 seconds to three full minutes, depending yeah. on what the story needs. And then question number five. What is the last name of either Jake or Rachel? 
Wait, is this a trick question and we don't know them? Yes. Bonus points. <laughs> we don't know their last name because they won't tell us their last names. None of them will ever tell us their last names. They won't tell you the name of their town, their school, or even the state they're in because if they told us their last names, the Yerks might be able to find them and their families. And if the Yerks ever find them, it will be the end. The Yerks might kill them or worse. For the audience's benefit, but mostly Shawnee's, quick recap of events. The Animorphs want to strike back against the Yerks. They know that Principal Chapman is a controller. His daughter Melissa used to be close friends with Rachel, and Rachel plans on morphing into Melissa's cat Fluffer in order to spy on Chapman. Okay, but what if Fluffer just wants to have a career in the adult entertainment industry? <laughs> and he gets to go on Letterman? 100%. I mean, how could he not? When we left off, Rachel remembered the Chapmans have a pet cat with a totally non-pervy name, and we now open to the Animorphs all gathered outside the Chapman residence at night, peeking over a hedge like a group of peeping Toms doing a little recon. The next couple of chapters really feel like padding to me, so I'm going to get through them as quickly as possible. Do they feel like you're being fluffed for the real action? Just the gift that keeps on giving. I'm just saying. I'm noticing a theme that I feel like it's going to continue in these books. Do you remember how in the last book? I uh, no. <laughs> it does, well, it doesn't okay, matter sorry. it doesn't matter what you're going to say. I just In won't. the last book, they had to take a break in the action to acquire new morphs before going back to their plan. Yeah, they had to go to the zoo? Yes. But here in this book, they take a break in the action to acquire a morph, but then they have to take a break in the action of acquiring that morph in order to get another morph, in order to get that morph, in order to go to the plan. Oh my god, I care so little. Yeah, it's pretty convoluted. Tobias flies around the Chapman's neighborhood to try to find Wait, Fluffer. is it a spoiler if I go, oh my god, is he still, or is he stuck yet? He, he is, yes. Now, the, now the he's end stuck. of... Thank God. Episode four of the podcast, book now, one. Now I'm not spo- now I'm not spawning myself anymore. <laughs> it is difficult for me to keep track as well because I'm like editing episode four, preparing for episode five, reading the next book. So yeah. it, it does it does tend to mesh up in your head. I'm I mean I'm, I also like I think I called Tobias getting stuck you, like, oh, right away. Yes, in it like was, episode one. It was incredible. You, you <laughs> so did. out of nowhere. They kind of make some jokes, and he flies back, and he tells them he finds fine fluffer, and he also tells them about all the plumpy, delicious rats and mice running around. Oh, again? Yeah, Marco makes a mean comment about not knowing if he can be friends with someone who eats rats, uh, which was pretty insensitive, and it kind of pisses off the rest of the team. I feel like that's culturally insensitive. Marco apologizes for the statement, and Tobias shows them where fluffer is. He's in a neighbor's yard chasing a mouse. This is so boring in comparison to the previous book. It really is. Cassie and Rachel go to get Fluffer. He slashes at them and runs up a tree. Wait, can I just pause for a second? Is this, this book is no longer in Jake's POV. This is in Cassie's POV, yes, this, right? No, no. This book is still in Rachel's Oh, Rachel's. POV. Okay. Uh, Cassie tells Rachel how pound for pound, tomcats are some of the toughest animals there are. So now... They need to get the cat out of the tree. Rachel has a plan. She says, Tobias, would you go get me a mouse? This, like, considering they just, like, fought an intergalactic alien battle, like, two days before, what the fuck is right. going and on? It does build up, um, but I'm just going to try to get through these these chapters really quickly. Okay. Uh, Tobias gets... Uh, this something... is the vegetables portion of the book. Yeah, that I'm that I'm trying to okay. get through. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> Tobias sorry. gets them something that isn't actually a mouse. It's a tr- it's a shrew. Tobias uh, hands it over to Rachel. Cassie mentions how if they're going to be spending all this time around wild animals, they should probably get some rabies shots. So <laughs> we points to Cassie for being uncharacteristically level-headed and rational in that moment. Wait, what? <laughs> it makes sense. Do humans get rabies shots? You're fucking kidding me. Do you not have your rabies vaccination? I thought I thought it was like tetanus. I mean, like I'm. I mean, I've been bitten by many dogs, so I'm pretty sure that oh I do. But oh boy, 
we, we, we're going to call and make some appointments tomorrow. No, I, you know that I've been bitten by so many dogs. I'm sure that I have my rabies vaccination up to date, but like, okay, anyway, go on. Uh, Marco <laughs> makes a joke about Rachel turning into a shrew. Like, how are you going to know when she morphs? L-O-L-O-L. Wait, what? Because she's a shrew. Get it, Marco? Jesus fucking Christ. I'm going to put Marco through a window. Rachel acquires the shrew DNA. And uh, disappointedly, no one makes a single Shakespeare reference. The plan is for Rachel to lure <laughs> Fluffer out of the tree as a shrew so the others can catch Fluffer so she can acquire the DNA so she can morph. I have a suggestion. Yes. Have they considered showing a half erect penis to Fluffer? <laughs> he would just feel a sense of obligation or duty. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> have they tried that? Tobias uh, wishes her luck, and he does it in a way that only she can hear. Remember how they can thought speak. It could either be P2P or Broadway. And this this kind of comes into play later, how they could choose who they're thought speaking to. Okay. Like, it's not reply all, it's reply to. Yes, yes, no. no okay. She turns into a shrew. She talks about... Uh, oh, I love these morphing descriptions. She talks about hearing the grinding noise as her backbone collapses <laughs> and feels that disturbing non-pain sensation of the morph. She turns two inches long with four tiny feet, and she is filled with fear. <laughs> Excellent. It'll sound like a great weekend away. Yes, shrews are apparently innately fearful creatures. Everywhere she looked, she sensed predators. I mean, they're teeny tiny. Right. And they're filled with terror. Uh, she just takes off. Rachel has no control over the shrew instincts. Uh, worse than Jake was when he turned into the lizard. Hmm. And it wasn't just fear she felt. There was also an overwhelming hunger. You see, somewhere she smelled dead flesh with maggots crawling on it. And she wanted some of those yummy, yummy maggots. Wait, are shrews carnivores? Apparently. I don't think that. Okay. I don't. I mean, sh aren't shrews like tiny mice? I don't know. Who am I, Cassie? I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Tobias Thought speaks with her and tells her to try to take control, but she can't. She's just overwhelmed with the shrew's fear and hunger. The animorphs are running around trying to catch her, but she zips away, and her fear manages to get even greater when she realizes she's in the shadow of the ultimate horror. An enemy who can't be defeated. Oh, I thought it was the IRS. <laughs> no, it's a red-tailed hawk. Which, it, that's Tobias. It is Tobias, yes. This whole thing... <gasps> wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Do we, do we not get to stop for a moment to congratulate me? You don't get a gold star for every correct answer, okay? You don't get a participation trophy, Snowflake. Okay, it doesn't mean that I'm getting a participation trophy for the every correct answer when oh. my correct answers come only 10% of the time. This, to me, is giving off very, like, filler anime episode vibes. Like, we just had, like, the Yerk pool and all these people getting killed, and now it's like, ah, everyone run around and get the shrew! Catch it quick! Yeah, this is the episode where someone steals Naruto's underwear in right. an episode where it's like, nothing is actually happening, even though, like, they defeated the most evil shogun or whatever. Right, he's, he's racing the ostrich around the boat, right. 100%. Or uh, they're, like, trying to find the most beautiful bowl of ramen in the town. <laughs> Are you trying to turn me on? Tobias catches her and talks to her about human things like school. And that brings kind of Rachel back in charge of the shrew body. She talks about how she's just surprised at how different morphing into a shrew was than morphing into an elephant. She expected them to be similar, but they were completely different. Wait, what, what are the morphs that Rachel has had so far, right? Like she's had... Oh my god. I have I have We our, have a chart. Our chart right here for you. So Rachel has morphed into an elephant, right? Yes, and a bald eagle. That picture is very small and I'm not wearing my glasses. <laughs> so, but I'll take your word for it. So but sh but sh next week episode I will have to add a, a shrew to the dream board. Yes. Excellent. This is a nice visual aid. I I, I mean, proud it would myself for coming up with that. It's an it's an This will help us. 
it's visual and it's an aid, but it's not both combined when I can't actually see it because I hope that it's at a weird angle. I hope that in future episodes too, it isn't a we need to acquire a new morph every episode. Like I hope they turn back into old morphs uh, every now and then. I just I really I'm just waiting for the moment when they go to the museum of natural history and like fondle <laughs> a piece of bone. Like I'm just waiting for the Jurassic Park moment here, okay? <laughs> me too, me too. Cassie uh mentions how larger, more dominant animals seem easier to control, even though Rachel was in control, part of her still wanted to run and eat those maggots, so she wasn't in complete control of the shrew. Marco picks her up, takes her to the tree where Fluffer is. And says, wow, cat versus mouse, who would you bet on? The way I just want to stab him with a fucking tennis ball. Well, Cassie has a pretty good comeback. She says, hey, haven't you ever seen Itchy and Scratchy? Marco is the most cringy character in this incredibly cringy series. This is the second time that Marco has brought up gambling. In the first book, he says something uh, in the Yerk Pit about there's five of us against an alien army. Who would you bet on? Now he's like cat and mouse. Who would you bet on? I'm worried that Marco has a gambling problem. I think we should send him to like um, a secretly ex- like evangelical Christian wilderness um, brainwashing program in Utah for the summer. Why? <laughs> because, I mean, it's clear that he's a troubled teen. <laughs> Pray the gambling problem away. Right. Just then, Fluffer jumps down after Rachel. Marco and Jake catch him, getting a few scratches in the process, but Cassie throws him into an animal carrier, and Rachel morphs back into a human. I just have a really hard time understanding that our best friend, Catherine Applegate Applegate, would name even an animal character Fluffer. Because... To be fair, full name is Fluffer McKitty. Okay, well, I'm glad that it's not Fluffer of the Pussy or whatever, <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where if you are an author these days and I spend a decent amount of t- time in the book community, particularly with indie authors, and there's always a conversation of like, oh, is this going to be problematic? Like, am I allowed to write about this? Like, is this going to be good? Like, is this going to be, pro- like, get, like land a lot of heat on me but she named a character in this book fluffer which obviously like the name fluffer has for anyone who's an adult who has consumed any kind of adult media that's immediately like okay well that's a very specific purpose was that the case in the 90s as well oh yes okay i think so but it's it's one of those things where i'm like Really? Like, you didn't think to look up what that might mean? I'm just saying. Uh, Rachel, now human, feels sick. She remembers the fear. She remembers the craving for maggots that she experienced as a shrew. And Jake nodded and said that he should have been the one to lure Fluffer out by morphing into a lizard. So Rachel didn't have to experience this. But Rachel says, no, that wouldn't have made any sense since this was her POV book. That would have been really weird for the narration. <laughs> kind of like that episode of Community where, like, all the stuff happens to Abed in the background. Yeah. Anyway, she acquires Fluffer's DNA. <laughs> I bet Fluffer had a lot of DNA all over. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you And you <laughs> thought I was going on too much it's so, about... It's so easy. That's the it, problem. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, just put the ball right on the tee. No, We're just swinging ag- away. Again, this is what I'm saying. Like, it's like, it's fine to name a character Fluffer when you're writing for kids, but then it's like... Then they grow up and remember that there was a cat called Fluffer. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, it gets weirder on. You you find out that uh, Cassie has a pet dog named Titjob. <laughs> uh, it's really... <laughs> Cassie... Oh, speaking... Okay, sorry. This is right to your point. <laughs> speaking of things... Oh, my God. Does Cassie... Cassie smiles at Rachel and says... You look like the same old Rachel, but you have an elephant, an eagle, a shrew, and a cat inside you. <laughs> exact words. Somehow, Marco 
doesn't make a joke about Rachel having animals inside her. But this made me oh, think... Oh, I'm going to. <laughs> Go on. This Go made on. me think, so as a restaurant person, I run into people all the time that are like allergic to shellfish and things. Like, what if you qu- acquired the morph of something you had like a physical incompatibility with? Or even more broadly, like, are there any morphs that you think would just be completely incompatible to humans? Like, what what do you think would be the worst thing you could morph into a fluffer <laughs> no i think i think like you have to think about it from a perspective of like what's poisonous versus venomous right when it comes to allergies because like i also mean just in general like what what do you think would be the worst morph anything smaller than me i think because i feel like like you would just be in danger of being there are a lot of things smaller than you that are tougher than you I'm going to fucking catch hands, okay? No, like, it's, it's, to me, it's the idea that, like, humans are the most dangerous predator, honestly, like, AR-15s, etc. So you're just not going to play along. You're not going to no, answer no, no, the question. No, I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm trying to, right. I'm trying to figure it out. I just, like, the best thing to morph into. Not at all what I asked, but go on. No, but the, that... the opposite of the question at hand. Yes, please. Oh, but that's where I'm working towards. Um, I think the best thing would be to morph into something that is considered endangered by like the World Wildlife Fund. Because a yerk would like totally like, no, put down the Dracon beam. Don't you know those are endangered? No, because I think humans would keep them far away from anyone except for their carers. Uh-huh. Hey, Shawnee, though, but what do you think would be the worst thing to morph into? Literally anything small, honestly. Because I feel like the smaller you are, the higher the chances are that you are going to just get stomped to death. I, 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 would, I would go with a scallop. Because you would eat a scallop? No, because they don't have brains or a brainstem. Like, they're still technically animals, but they don't have any level of consciousness. So I wonder if you would have any self-awareness in a scallop morph... Or any bivalve, like an oyster. Yeah, but it's it's also like, why would you morph into a scallop? Like, what's the benefit of it to you? I, I don't know. I'm speaking hypothetically. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, why would you choose to morph into a scallop? Because if you morph... The into- yurks took over the aquarium and you need to get on the other... Yeah, you could come up with a scenario for anything. No, but that's what I'm saying. Is that, like, I feel like a morph is a weapon to an extent, right? No. You- I no, think... it, oh, you, it's espionage. No, but espionage is a weapon. Like it's like having. Uh, no, 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 no. Words but like, are weapons. Like... No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me work through this because to for you to morph into something else, like you can be, you can overpower someone physically, or you can disguise yourself into something that is in a disguise, or. You can have skills or physical abilities that you wouldn't otherwise have as a human. So I'm just kind of figuring, trying to figure out, like, what is the benefit of morphing to become a scallop? I, I, I don't care. No, but here, but you so said, no, but, well, then you go. I think any So tool, that's, that's a terrible any... choice on your part. Yes, that's... it would be a terrible choice. That's why it would be the worst thing to morph into. No, but what I'm saying that's is, like, point. feasibly, oh like. Oh, my God. Feasibly, someone who would benefit you, but it, still be the worst choice. Such a simple question. Okay, well, here's the thing: you brought it was me. Such, you bring in all this color again, again. It's Jake and Jake's brother and their brother brotherly bond. I just, I'm here <laughs> to bring the stupidest tangents into this podcast. All I'm saying is that, like, I'm You're refu- succeeding. But here's the thing: I will take over you. By eating you when you are a scallop. I, I, I Some take it back. butter, the tiny worst, bit of lemon. Wor- okay, the worst thing to morph into would be you. <laughs> I'm having a great time, okay? So Cassie says, now that Rachel has four morphs, she has more than anyone else. Hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. looking over at this chart. Seems to me like Jake has four. Did she just forget about Jake? Dog, lizard, tiger, falcon. Wait, okay. but Rachel doesn't have four. 
So I didn't update this piece of paper as I'm recording this podcast. Well, that seems unfair to me. A shrew and a cat. We could add those on for next week. Yeah, Uh, because Jake has turned into the dog Homer, the lizard, who barely survived. mm -hmm. And then a tiger. Yep. And then a falcon. So they acquire the fluffer morph, but decide that tonight was enough excitement for one day. They're going to come back another day to infiltrate Chapman's house. That night, Rachel wakes up from a nightmare. She checks to see if she's human, and she was. But wouldn't that be cool if she wasn't? Like, can no. you imagine sleep morphing? Uh, have you have you never had sleep paralysis? I I haven't, but also I think sleep morphing would just be a cool thing to add into this book. Like, you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're a fucking walrus. That sounds... How Kafkaesque. Absolutely horrifying. Yeah, how cool would that be for these books? (laughs) Hard pass. She wakes up, she's still human, but she goes in the bathroom and just starts throwing up, or as we call throwing up in the 90s, barfing. It's so loud, it wakes one of her sisters up. Her little sister is worried about her. And says, you know, Rachel, you could trust me. If anything bad happens to you, I'm here for you. But Rachel realizes she can't trust her sister. She has no way to tell whether or not her sister is a controller. She can't trust anyone who isn't an animorph. And and this book, kind of lying and deceit and, and dishonesty, is the underlying uh, is an underlying theme that I saw throughout this book particularly and we can get a a lot more into that next episode Mm -hmm. Uh, she sees jake on the school bus the next day and they both talk about how they got nightmares after their more difficult morphs Mm. Uh, when he morphed into the tiger he had some great dreams that night and it was same with rachel when she morphed into the elephant but with the lizard and the shrew nasty nightmares and they talked about how one day they might have to morph into bugs and they thought they might not be mentally prepared for that sort of morph. Is that like, is that like weirdly racist? That is in no way at all racist, but please elaborate. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying like, it's like they're... I can't wait to hear this. It's, they're going like, oh, I had a great time when I was a tiger. It's like higher on the food chain, right? And the lower you get on the food chain, it's, I mean, racist... Racist is not the right term. But like, no, not not at all. But, you are correct. But what I'm what I'm saying is like, it's evolutionarily. Are you saying people have preferences? <laughs> no. Yes, but, they no, do. No, but it's 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 that the preferences are like predators are better, right? Because they're not having nightmares when they are, like, at the top of the food chain. And the lower on the food chain that they go, then they're having nightmares. So remember, like, a minute ago when I asked you, like, what would be a bad morph? And you were like, small things would be bad, big, strong things would be good. They're, they're just, they're agreeing with you. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just having the, look. I'm here as a fucking comedic entertainment into commenting on the past three sentences. Anything before that, I won't remember. Rachel sees Melissa in the hallway, and Melissa has the same far-off look that she had when they last spoke. Rachel says, what's wrong? Melissa responds. I'm a just controller. By, just by mumbling about, now nothing's wrong, but everything's wrong, but nothing's wrong. She just says, forget it, and, and walks off. Has Melissa tried therapy? Oh, she's going to need some. Rachel presses after her, but Melissa says, everyone has changed. You stop hanging out with me, and then my mom and dad, well, and she just trails off. Just then the bell rings. Rachel's trying to unpack everything that's going on with Melissa when she walks directly into Vice Principal Chapman. She says, oh, sorry, I didn't get much sleep. And he said, bad dreams? (gasps) She nods her head, and he says, oh, remember, nightmares aren't real. Two nights later, they're back at the Chapman house, and Tobias tells them that Fluffer is several blocks away. Wait, why are are they, did they, are they just monitoring the house? No, so, so when they acquired the morph, they, they figured they had a busy day, and now they're going back to perform the, the 
espionage. No, I understand. They're just mon- no, but like they're like not inside the house. They're just like around the house. I'm How just... would they be inside the house? Exactly. I'm just confirming. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Sorry. They are outside the house. Thank you. Rachel wants to morph into Fluffer. She says she's ready to go in and see how she can help Melissa. Marco reminds her, uh, your job isn't to help Melissa. It's to spy on Chapman. We need a way to get the Yurks so we can find a way to turn into wild animals and get ourselves killed. (laughs) Marco. He doesn't have the most positive outlook on this. Oh, my God. How... Can you make that assessment, considering that is the exact attitude that he's had for the past book and a half? She morphs into Fluffer and immediately just starts jerking people off. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, it's, so, it's too easy. It's too easy. She morphs into Fluffer. <laughs> That's what she said. Fur and whiskers start growing out of her arms and face. She shrinks down. And as a cat, she feels tough. And sexy. <laughs> she talks about how she has to adjust to the vision of the cat. They see movement the way we see colors and they have incredible night vision as a cat she feels a little cocky a little arrogant a little, a little cocky a little self-assured self-assured ah uh, but she's getting used to the strength and grace of being a cat she heads towards the chapmans trying not to get overwhelmed by all the sense and she enters through the cat door the chapmans are home as a human, she would be afraid in this situation, but as a cat, she has a, war- a level of unwarranted confidence. She walks into the living room and sees Chapman sitting on the couch, and he's just sitting there, not doing anything. The TV isn't on. He's not watching Letterman like all the cool people in the 90s. <laughs> There's no music, book, newspaper. He's just sitting there, and it freaks her out a bit. Mrs. Chapman's in the next room, and she's giving off the same, like, something isn't right here kind of vibes. And then she goes up to Melissa's room. Melissa's doing her math homework, mumbling to herself. Rachel looks around and she sees a clock and she's going to make sure that she doesn't stay a cat for over two hours because she doesn't want to go all to bias. Chapman comes in from the hallway and Rachel and her cat instincts agree on one thing. This is their prey. Mm. She follows Chapman down the hallway And she hears a voice. Rachel, how is it going? (gasps) What? It's Tobias in her head. Oh, God. He's perched on the roof, thought speaking to her. I got so nervous for a second. Yeah, so is she. She was very startled. And she says, hey, shut up. Let me focus. I'm following Chapman down the stairs into the basement. Interestingly, as she goes down the stairs into the basement, the thought speak starts breaking up. Remember, they don't know a lot about how thought speak works yet. They know there is a distance limit to thought speaking, but now apparently they're discovering that if there's enough interference in the way, it won't work either. So they don't have 5G yet. Exactly. And when she goes in the basement, she's truly on her own. The basement has a family room with a TV, a couch, and a pool table, but it's clear that none of these things have been used in a very long time. Mm. In fact, using her cat senses... She could see that the only thing that has been of use lately is a path across the floor to a large white door. Can I just ask you a question? Please. When have you seen a family room that has a pool table last? Oh, they were. So, yeah, growing up, lots of pool tables. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like. And they were always in basements, too. Oh, 100%. Um, It just, I, growing up, my father's like my father's older brother and their family house so like my cousins like they had a they had a pool table in their basement and they were like my cousins were really really good at pool because of that pool table but it's it's just like growing up in film like where are you gonna go and play pool but it's just that was the pool table that i knew of growing up but no one else had one. So, like, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, what a luxury. Oh, all. Well, so when I was younger growing up, a lot of people had pool tables in their houses. And then as I got older, especially in parts of Pennsylvania, every fucking bar had a pool table. Oh, no, pool that's a table what... and a dartboard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just like to me, a pool table in a basement. I'm just kind of like, 
is that really like the thing that you want to teach your kids? Because it'd be like, <laughs> they'll be really good at the thing that you do at a bar. I think it was for, for my neighborhood, at least, I think there was a bit of a status symbol to it. Like, look at me. I could afford a pool table. Oh, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way about like, remember there was that very short window of time where everyone had a waterbed. Can you even still get a waterbed? I don't think you. I think it'll be easier to get home insurance with owning a pit bull than <laughs> having a waterbed. A pit bull on a trampoline. On yeah. a waterbed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, no one will cover you. Uh, Chapman pulls out a key and unlocks this large white door and goes through. Rachel follows. Behind that door is a very small room with a second larger door. It's a thick steel door, almost like to a bank vault. Mm. Chapman presses his hand on a scanner next to the door and it opens up for him. Do you think it's like one of those Canon scanners that like it's like 168 pixels per square inch and it's just basically like Mario from 1984? <laughs> Something like that. The door slides into the wall. Chapman goes in and Rachel knows it's dangerous, but she follows behind him anyway. Chapman turns on the lights, and in the room, there's a little desk in the middle, along with this strange spot-like-looking thing hanging down from the ceiling. Chapman ran his hands along a blue panel on the desk, looked at his watch, and just sat there patiently. Now, at this point, Chapman still doesn't know that Rachel's in the room with him, but she's trying to act like a regular old cat just in case, so if Chapman does see her, he won't get suspicious. But... Would he expect there to be a cat in that room? They have a cat. And cats, as you know, generally go where you least want them to go. Well, fair enough. After a few minutes, a bright light comes from the spotlight device. And then the light starts to change shape and take on a form. The image takes on a blue hue and four hooves appear. And then a long scorpion-like tail. This is the exact experience that I've had on a really early morning Zoom call when I'm hungover. <laughs> well, this is some kind of holographic communicator, and we see Visser 3. <gasps> oh my god, he's back. Chapman communicates with him and says, Welcome, Visser. Innis 226 of the Sulpnir pool submits to you. May the Kendrona shine and strengthen you. <gasps> Uh, I need 74 more explanations. We're going to stop right now and just focus on how awesome that sentence is. No, that's what I'm saying. We learn so much. Firstly, the Yerks have manners. <laughs> All right. We learn that apparently the pools are like communities to them, like clans almost. Like he tells what pool he's from. We learn that they have a very specific type of... Of hierarchical society. Oh like, not just, hello, I'm here to report to you, sir, but, like, I submit to you. And their naming conventions. His name's Innis226. We have Visser3. We know Visser3 wants to be Visser1. Is there an Innis1? I bet. What's the, the... Is it, like, a different class? You have your Vissers, you have your Innises? No, but... This is fucking cool. Okay, but here's my question is that if there is... If the pools are like you're assigned to a pool, what happens? The when... near pool, right? Right, but like, can you? It's like, do you have a home pool? Yeah, but that, then that's near pool. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if you have a home pool on your home planet, and then you get assigned to go to another planet to extend the invasion, is that like you get a guest pass? Yeah, a little a little bracelet. I don't know. Yeah, a like lanyard, perhaps. Maybe like a, an app on your phone that you can scan at the gate. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Like how much we learn in just that one sentence. Visser I mean, three, you think it's cool, but okay. I really, I I love that sentence. Visser three uh, responds, well, and also with you and a voice. <laughs> uh, the voice was weird to Rachel. See, normally the Analytes uh, communicate telepathically. But I guess they can't do that through the machine. So there's kind of like a Stephen Hawking thing going on. But it's like in like a like it's, it's not, voice. It's not thought speak. It's not thought speak. The, commu the, 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 the device is translating thought speak into speech. So anyone in the room could hear it. Which 
makes sense both in terms of like how the machine would work and also how the story would work because the Rachel re- wouldn't learn anything if they were just not speaking to each other. The only reason that this book like book series got as many books as it, as it did is because adults weren't the audience. Because this kind of shit it's like an adult would be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, logistically, no. nothing was thought, thought out. Vice. He thinks into it, speech comes out the other end. You're okay, but, but okay, but here's the thing. This scene, and I, and I understand that I'm getting the second hand based on, like, your reading. But how many people are in this scene? How many of our main characters are in this room that while this is happening? Rachel. Just Rachel. Okay. What do you mean? It's just... Like, I don't understand the, the, the issue. Rachel is in, this is her book. She's watching this happen. I understand that, but it's like, the thing, the th- everything is being presented as if it is like, everyone knows now that this is how things work. What? I'm, I'm not sure I know what you mean. This is, Rachel is just <clears throat> watching this happen. Maybe it's just me. Go on. Visser 3 tells Innis 226, or shall we call him Chapman? I don't know. Uh, to report. Wait, spoilers. What? No, we know he's a controller. I just fucking. No, I know he's a fucking controller. I just. I was just making jokes about him now, us knowing his name. <laughs> Visser tells Innis 226 to report on his progress in locating the Andalite bandits. As you may or may not recall, at the end of book one, Visser 3 knows. Of the Animorphs presence, but he doesn't know that they are humans that have the power to morph. He instead assumes that they are Andalites that escaped from one of the ships he destroyed. Shockingly, I do remember that. He says, I want them found now. This can't go on in his 226. The Council of Thirteen will wonder why I reported the Andalites are dead if some of them survived. <gasps> Mm, yummy, yummy lore. Yes. Who's... Yerks have their own Supreme Court. This is awesome. I was going to say, who are the 13? No fucking clue, but I can't wait to find out. Chapman, or should I say Innis226. I'm just going to continue to say Chapman. He's pissing his pants right now. He's terrified of the Visser and the Council of 13. He doesn't want to fail in his task. Rachel, as a cat, can not only smell Chapman's fear, but she realizes she could smell something else, though. It's the Chapman... Ammonia in his pants. (laughs) No, she can smell that he's a yerk, much like how Jake was able to smell that Tom was a controller in the first book. At this point, Visser points directly at Rachel and is like, what the fuck is that? Chapman explains, oh, it's called a cat. It's an Earth species used as a pet. Humans find comfort in them. This one belongs to my host's daughter. Why are they able, like, why do they think they're able to take over the planet when they don't know what fucking cats are? If you're invading another planet. You will do a lot of research. You would know every animal. Cats are. You know household pets. If you, if you, I'm sorry, if you are trying to invade a planet and you figure out who are the, like, most powerful or whatever, like, biggest Yes, yes, biggest we know parents. all their leaders. Their co- now, no, what no, are no. their domesticated animals? No, but, like, if you, if, you, if you are trying to invade a planet and you figure out, like, who are the people who are controlling more, most of the resources, which in this case is humans, and then you go, like, oh, my God, like, what is the second closest species to them? And are can we exploit them? For our gain, okay. Yeah, dogs yeah, yeah. and cats are gonna be the number two. Come on! I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Visser three points to Rachel and says, "Kill it, kill it immediately." There we go. Rachel is tempted to panic, but the combination of her own human intelligence and the cat's confidence and cunning save her in that moment. You see, she realizes that she can't react to that. Because a normal cat wouldn't. Only an Andalite would. Mm. So she continues to act like a cat, even though she is terrified that she is going to be killed. This reminds me a little of the scene from the movie Toy Soldiers, where the kid heard them talking in Spanish about how they're going to shoot him. 
but he like reacted to it and gave himself away. Whereas if he just like was smart like Rachel mm -hmm. and kind of just like mm, pretend nothing happens, it would have been fine. Is this your um, weekly media recommendation? Uh, no, I have another one, but it was a great movie. Chapman and Visser 3 are staring at the cat to see if it reacts. Visser 3 repeats, destroy it. It might be an Andalite. And Rachel just goes, meow. I love it. Visser 3 hears it and goes, what the fuck was that? Chapman explains, oh, that's the sound that cats make, Visser 3. So they did no explanation. Like fucking research onto a this. little like a little comic relief scene here. I, I yeah, like okay. It. Visser three swipes at Rachel with his hologram tail, and Rachel instinctively bears her claws and swipes at it just as it passes through her. Can I just say this book is so fucking boring in comparison? And like I understand that like I complained so much about the info dumps, but oh my. God. I, I, I think you're only saying that because you're really remembering the Yurk pool scene because it's the last one we, we, we talked about. No, absolutely. The, I do not first, remember anything. The first I, all half I rem of, of the first book was quite boring as well. The no. sharing, the barbecue. No, I literally just remember them like walking into the construction pit. Yeah. Like, that's all I remember. But it's like, what the fuck is happening in this one? Well, I'm Rachel. Swipes her claws at the hologram, and Visser 3 starts laughing. What a ferocious beast, he says. It didn't back down. And there we find out that Visser 3 is a cat person. Figures. <laughs> but he commands Chapman to kill it anyway. Chapman says, well, if I do that, then my host's daughter's going to get upset, and like... Me killing a cat will cause trouble for my cover story, and you don't want to blow my cover business. Oh, my God. So he's like just like a classic middle manager who's scared of their boss. Exactly. This is like, fine, don't kill the cat. We want to keep your cover intact. And Rachel decides to continue with the act, so she goes and starts rubbing herself against Chapman's leg. Is she a fluffer? <laughs> this is like, what's it doing now? And Chapman explains that it, it's hungry. It wants to be fed. And Vister 3 is amazed. He's like, so not only is this creature strong and fearless, it also has the ability to manipulate larger creatures. What a worthy animal. Oh, my God. I'm gigantically bored. Yes, I get it. Let me continue. He actually says, and this answers a question you had earlier, it's too bad that cats are so small. Otherwise, they would make excellent hosts. Yeah, like tigers. Well, you you asked before why they wouldn't invade or why they wouldn't take over cats and dogs. That explains it. They have to have a size limit, apparently, in order to take over an animal, which is good information to have. Mm. All of this is just like, to me, it seems like retconning a little bit. What do you mean? It's the second book. What do they have to retcon? I mean, we already established that bigger creatures work better for morphs for like causing destruction etc i mean not necessarily the liz what did the lizard do spied yeah but I mean, again this is what you said earlier you, you talked about morphing as a weapon and and you could use any tool as a weapon even if it's not its initial purchase like a wrench isn't made to be a weapon but you could hit someone over the head with it and yes it makes sense that the animorphs are using morphing as a weapon but that wasn't its purpose the andalite said that they use this to fit in with other species i understand that but like the as the entire series so far has demonstrated the people who have morphed don't have full control over their morphs like it's like they have to manifest to an extent and like try to overrule the animal instincts of whatever morph that they have so then it's like how valuable is a weapon that you can't fully control well it depends on what you morph into and how easy it is to control. So that's and, what I'm saying. But size isn't necessarily the the deciding factor there. But, and that is something we will actually dive into heavily during our next episode. Okay. Can so I... we're going to put a pin in that. Fine. Because it is, it is, 
it is thoroughly addressed. Uh, Visser's still pissed that they haven't found the Andalite bandits and tells him that he better get a move on and find these bandits. Just because he has a flair for the dramatic, Visser 3 morphs into a large creature with a translucent purple tube-like head with hundreds of little suckers inside. Like one of those um, creatures outside of a used car dealership. <laughs> the wacky arm-flailing inflatable tube man. Exactly. Visser 3 says, you better not let me down. I gave you that host body and made you my lieutenant, but I could suck you back out again anytime I want. I mean, as long as he has a fluffer around. <laughs> And then a little picture-in-picture screen kind of pops up, another window, and shows a video of the creature that Visser 3 just morphed into sucking on the head of a human woman until a yerk gets sucked out of her ear and the creature swallows the yerk. This is all just fluffer content still. Visser 3 says, don't disappoint me, and the image vanishes. Chapman leaves the room, walks up the stairs, and his wife is there. And she says, what are the Visser's orders? Chapman responds, he wants us to find the Andalite bandits. He morphed into a Venarx, a Yerkbane. So a what? Cool, a Venarx, which is also known as a Yerkbane. There is apparently a creature that the Yerks fear. It's like a Yerk boogeyman. Oh, like at the bane of the Yerks. Right, or which is called a Venarx. Have they considered that um, salt might also work, considering they're like little snails? Well, when he said a yerk bane, my first thought was like, You merely adopted the country. <laughs> I was born into it, molded by it. <laughs> but Mrs. Chapman is like, I heard rumors he could morph into a yerk bane. And Chapman tells her, He showed me what he did to Innis 174. All right, all right. There was another Innis with a higher number. We're learning more about their society. I like this. And then Mrs. Chapman, who is stunned, says, he used a Venarx on an Innis of the second century? Cool, 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 cool. Now we're learning more about their lifespans. I, this is awesome. I hate this so much because it's just... We're getting all this lore. We are not getting any of the lore. We're getting we're literally getting it. No, we're directly. No, we're getting like I want to be like, okay, like how does Mrs. Chapman know all of this? Like, is she She's a controller? Obviously. I mean, okay, fair enough, but like, this is the first note in the books that we get of her also being a controller. She walks down the stairs and said, "What did Visser Three say he wanted from us?" No, I understand that, but like, it's it's she's like, what is her? role in the society I, I don't know yet like, let's read on and find out <sighs> i just i guess i'm just asking for like outlander and all i'm getting is like goddamn not every character that walks on the scene is going to have an entire flushed out backstory ready for you <sighs> just not how books work that Chapman is that and... is how the books i want to read work Chapman and his wife both agree that they are afraid of Visser Three and the Council of Thirteen, so they better find these Andalite bandits. Just then, Melissa comes down and says, Hey, Mom and Dad, can you guys help me with our math homework? Can we call them Anabanda? A what? Andalite bandits, Anabanda. No. Fine. They're both like, We're a little busy, sweetheart. Figure it out on your own. And Melissa stomps off, stomps off up to her room. Rachel bounds up the stairs, and when she's out of the basement, she hears, Rachel, can you hear me? It's Tobias. She says, yes, I'm here. And he tells her that she has about an hour left, but she should morph back as soon as possible because the real fluffer's heading home, and that would be an awkward situation if the two of them were in the same room. Uh, Rachel looks up at Melissa, who's crying into her pillow on her bed, and she says, I can't leave yet, Tobias. There's something I have to do. She jumps up on the bed, walks over to Melissa, and starts purring. Melissa starts scratching her ears. Melissa's crying. What did I do wrong? Tobias is in her head like, Rachel, you need to leave. Jake is freaking out. Rachel's like, oh my god, Tobias, shut the fuck up. 
And I wonder if you could mute ThoughtSpeak at this moment. That would be nice. Melissa's crying. She says, what did I do? Why don't they love me anymore? Your parents or... Her parents, yes. And much like how Tobias found his resolve to fight in the death of Prince Elfengor, this was the moment that changed everything for Rachel. She realizes that this is why she has to fight, not just to save the human race, but because the Yurks are destroying families. She thought of all the other families that were broken because of the Yurks, not just the people who had their parents replaced, but to the people who lost their children to the Yurks. Tobias is like, hey, Rachel, Jake's here and says you need to. Rachel's like, shut the fuck up, Tobias. I'm having a moment. Shut the fuck up. She thinks of all the people who lost loved ones, parents, children, and she decides in that moment she hates the Yerks and she will find a way to stop them no matter what. Here's my question. Do we know that there is irreparable damage from having been a Yerk controller? Like, if you expel your Yerk and you go on continuing life as a human is that like ptsd physically or oh yeah psychologically it has to be common sense dictates no no i understand because it's like it's like the whole like upside down or like you're in the yeah yeah sunken place i got you right right so how could that not fuck you up no but i'm i'm saying like physically or like do you forget what happened to you or like can you just go back forget because if you'll remember when Tom was, I don't in remember, the but Yurk go on. Pool, he was rebelling and fighting and saying, "Yeah, you can't yeah, do this yeah." Like me. when when the Yurk came out, woman. when they were recharging. Right, right. So when the hosts didn't have their Yurk controller in them, they seemed to retain those memories. Right. Speaking of which, remember that woman that they freed at the end of book one? Yeah. No. Where's that woman? Would really like to know how she's doing. I, I not really well. Like I would, I would assume. Up. Yeah. But that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, I would like to make a media recommendation for the week. Uh, It's not really related to anything we said directly, but it was inspired by Rachel feeling so small and helpless and afraid as a shrew. I'd like to recommend the stop-motion animated experimental horror film Mad God by (laughs) special effects artist Phil Tippett. Uh, It gives you kind of a really good idea of feeling like insignificant and hungry and afraid all the time. Or you could just be a woman in society. Or you could do that. <laughs> that was this week's episode. Johnny, what do you think? It picked up a little bit at the end. Did it? After the whole like, uh, you know, anime running around, catch the shrew. We got to find out more about your culture. I just feel like, I don't. I don't know if it if if it was the fact that like the invasions really conditioned me into taking in so much information and like so many things happening that were formative for our our quintuplet. Um, and now I'm kind of like, what is happening in the story? Like, I I need more infrastructure around the secret war that is happening between. Well, the only way to do that is to get more information, and that's what the Animorphs are doing. By gaining the Catmorph, spying on Chapman, they are trying to get more information about the Yurk invasion so they know how to best strike back. Fair enough. Shai, thank you for joining me today, and uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you could reach out to us at circleyurk at gmail.com. Uh, I would love, if anyone wants, I'm not an artistic person. If anyone wants to send us some drawings of Yolandi Visser 3, they will be featured on the website or our Instagram. I would love, or anything from this podcast, whether it's Marco being on Dave Letterman. Oh, I'd love to, love to feature some of that art. I could comment in uh, the thread on r slash Animorphs with any comments or suggestions for the podcast, but no spoilers. Fool me once. Shame on me. You can check us out on circleyork.ninja for a list of episodes and other information. And um, special thanks again to Benedict Cupstis for a theme song. Please check him out at fieldguides.bandcamp.com. Anything you'd like to add? I still am not sure what this entire book series is about. Well, I look forward to finding out with you together. Same. 
Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.